Good morning and welcome once again. My name is Craig. I'm the senior pastor here and it is our privilege to have you with us this morning as we've gathered together to worship. So thankful that you have joined us on uh, what uh, looks to be a, a beautiful Sunday. So thank you for spending it with us here at Malvern Hill. If you have your Bible, we're going to be, we are going to be in the book of Acts. Uh, if uh, that's difficult for you to find, let me help you. Acts is in the New Testament. So if you kind of uh, run to the middle and find yourself maybe in the Psalms. You just keep going forward. So you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. If you find yourself in Romans or 1 Corinthians, you've gone too far. If you find yourself in Revelation, you're at the end. So, book of Acts, chapter 1. It's our second sermon in this series in the book of Acts. A lot of page turning. For those of you reading on your devices, we're not judging you. I might be. Just kidding. Stand with us in honor of God's word. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew... James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle of the field, and his bowels gushed out, and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So the field was called in their own language a Keldama, which is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms. Now, just a side note, if you'll notice, we interrupted Peter's conversation, Peter's words there with this big, long parentheses. So if, if we uh, omit that just for the sake of conversation, we would say, we would continue. So uh, Peter said, for he was numbered among us and allotted his share in this ministry. And then we move on down to verse 19, be, uh, excuse me, verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these Two, you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray, Lord, that you would give us insight and understanding. And Father, as we consider this morning what it looks like to be a prepared people, and as we pray, Lord God, about that for which you are preparing us, I pray, God, that you'd give us a heart to be obedient in the days ahead. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There's a lot that we could preach from the book of Acts. Uh, we, I told you that already. I, I told you that in, in some ways I could take Acts chapter 1 and turn it into six or eight sermons, but I'm afraid that if I did that, as much fun as I would have with it, I might lose some of y'all in the process. 
So there's so many things that we could talk about in the book of Acts, especially here at the end. We could talk about the selection of Matthias. We could talk about, I have a sneeze coming, and y'all, I'm trying my best to not do that to all of you, especially on the microphone. But it's, it, when it happens, I just want to apologize ahead of time. I'm sorry. Uh, but this morning, I, I want to look at the preparation that takes place here in Acts chapter 1. And I want us to wrestle with a question that is very specific. For what is God preparing us? For what is God preparing us as a church? For what is God preparing you individually, perhaps even your family? What is God preparing us for? I believe that sometimes we, again, as I mentioned last week, we, we read the Bible and we don't jump into it all the way. One of the things that struck me this week as I was preparing through Acts chapter 1 is just how many nicknames there are among the disciples. Right? And, and we read that and we go, Peter called rock. And we, Simon called Peter. And we, we, we assume that Jesus just looks at him and says, you're such a strong man. But is it possible that Peter, Jesus looked at him and said, you hard-headed, I can't do anything else with you. I'm just going to call you rock and I'm going to do something great with you. We don't exactly know, but what we know is that we just have all these different nicknames that, that, pop, that pop up in, in the New Testament and among the disciples. And I'm glad for that. I don't trust anybody that doesn't have a nickname, just to be totally honest. If, if you don't have somebody who loves you enough to have a pet name for you, I want, to, I want to help you with that. When Angela and I met, one of the struggles that she had was keeping up with the Rolodex of my friends because, and I, you don't even know that you do this until somebody points it out, because I have friends that might have two or three or four different titles depending on the place where they are. Somebody calls them this or somebody calls them that. I have a cousin, um, and he, uh, he went by his middle name until his family moved to North Carolina. When they moved to North Carolina, he went by his first name. When we get together for family gatherings, it's a little bit odd because I call him one thing and his wife calls him something else. Uh, it's, it's not because his name changed, just because the situation changed. And sometimes it doesn't have anything to do with a particular name. Sometimes people just pick up a nickname. Everybody in my household has a nickname, and they come from all different kind of places. I gave Wyatt his pretty much when he was born. Uh, Wyatt gave Aubrey hers. Along the way, another kid here at church gave Sloan his nickname. I gave Brooklyn her nickname. And, I, all the, and, then, and, and what's a little bit wild is that sometimes our kids even have multiple nicknames that make, them, make their ways around. But we've got this experience in the book of Acts of people who know one another so well that they, they don't just call them Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so. They're not even Brother Smith. Though Those are phrases that are used. We've got this realization that, for instance, as it relates to Joseph, he's called Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice. Y'all, I want us to jump into these books and to live with them. Also live with these people and to understand that these are very real people wrestling with a very unique circumstance and trying their best to understand what it looks like to honor the Lord with their lives. Now, because we honor and revere God's word and these disciples, we tend to believe that justice was called justice because he was a just person. And that is very possible. Folks, it's also possible he looked like the judge so-and-so down the street and somebody just said, we're going to call you that because you look like him. These are people that know one another well, that live in relationship, and they're trying their best to take what Jesus has taught them and to distill it down into application in their lives. Some of you are getting a little uncomfortable because you think that I'm 
being a little disrespectful toward the scriptures. That's not my goal this morning. What I want you to do is to understand that what you're trying to do in trying to understand God's word and make application to your life is the exact same thing that the early church was doing. They were receiving this word from the Lord at a transitional time in history. And they were trying to understand exactly how it was that they were going to put into practice all that Jesus had taught them and showed them. They were trying to understand what it was that Jesus had prepared them for. And this morning, I suspect that many of us sit around and wonder at times, what in the world are you preparing me for? Lord, for what are you preparing me? How, Lord, do you desire that I would interact with the world around me? How, God, will I honor you with my life? This morning, as we think about that question, I want us to see that there are three things that we as a church can do, must do, as we try to wrestle with the question of that for which God is preparing us today, and that you need to do in your own individual life. The first thing is that you need to obey right now. You need to obey right now. Now, one of the things that we picked up, listen, parents, if you have really young kids, listen to me. If this is like your first go around, you got like kid number one and you're trying to figure it all out, the best thing you can do as a parent is find some other good parents and steal the good stuff that they have and claim it for your own, okay? There is no copyright infringement there. You take it, you use it. If it fits your gun, you shoot it. You need the community to come around you. One of the things that we picked up from other parents somewhere along the way was was this definition of obedience. And we, and we, we explained to our children, we want them to obey all the way, right away, and with a happy heart. All the way, right away, and with a happy heart. You know what? It's difficult to get all three of those done, isn't it? Every once in a while, I'll get somebody. Every once in a while, I am the guy that's willing to obey begrudgingly. Or I'll obey later. But to to nail all three of those things is a little bit of a challenge. And yet, when the Lord gives us something to do, He expects us to obey all the way, right away, and with a happy heart. Can I just tell you this? If you ain't got the happy heart yet, go ahead and do the all the way and the right away. And trust that the Lord will bring that heart into alignment with His will. We sometimes feel like we know better than God does. I shouldn't say we. Maybe y'all don't. Okay, sometimes I have felt like I knew better than God did. And so it's like, there's this thing that you know you should be doing, but well, I think I'll probably go about doing it this way. This is what got King Saul into trouble in 1 Samuel chapter 13. The Bible says that Saul was fixing to go into battle, and there in 1 Samuel 13, Samuel, who was the prophet, was supposed to come and offer sacrifices before the battle was to take place. King Saul, however, these two people, you got King Saul and the prophet Samuel. King Saul gets impatient, and King Saul decides that what matters the most is getting this thing done. And so King Saul offers the sacrifice himself, and Samuel shows up, and Samuel says, what in the world is going on? Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing, Saul knew he did wrong. How do we know that Saul knew he did wrong? Because Saul didn't go, well, I offer these sacrifices, and it's good to have you. you going to come and join with me. Now, the first thing that Saul did was he began to make excuses and explain himself. How many of y'all been there before? Men, we understand this, right? You didn't unload the dishwasher like your wife asked, and she walks in, and she notices it. You say, well, I was, I was parenting, you know? 
I, I, was, I was laying, I was putting down new flooring across the room or whatever. We, we've been there. Well, Saul, though, in this monumental moment, sees Samuel coming, and the first thing he does is start making excuses because he knew he'd messed up. The excuse for Saul was essentially this. It was better for me to do something for the Lord than to sit around and wait. And yet God desires obedience and not sacrifice. It was that act of disobedience on Saul's part that cost him the throne. Folks, there are times when honoring God is not perfectly efficient. There are times when honoring the Lord calls on us to do something that we just don't understand right away. We just don't understand why it is that God would have us to do that. Jesus told the disciples, you ready, to go to Jerusalem and wait. And wait. We saw this last week, but think about how crazy this sounds. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. He says, you've got this colossal task laid out ahead of you. But I just want you to go to Jerusalem and wait. How many of y'all are really good at waiting? Imagine Jesus giving you a plan, a task, a mission, and then saying, just hold off, we'll get around to it later. This is King David being anointed by Samuel and then being told, you're the king, but not yet. Sometimes God puts us in a holding pattern. And in that holding pattern, what do we do? The Bible says that we are to obey. And not only does the Bible teach us that, but repeatedly the people of God, when they are faithful to the Lord, spend their time waiting by first obeying. By obeying. Now remember, these disciples had just said to Jesus, is now the time when you're going to bring the kingdom to Israel? Jesus is today when you're going to restore it. Lord, now that you have been dead, buried, resurrected, Lord, is now when it's all going to happen. We're going to come into our positions of prominence, Lord. Remember last week we saw that Jesus redirects us. and said, no, 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 no. The kingdom is not what you think it is. And then he says, oh, wait. Just go to Jerusalem and wait. These guys... And ladies are eager. They're chomping at the bit. They want it to happen and Jesus is giving them a mission. And then Jesus says, wait. And what did they do? The Bible says in verse 15, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, a Sabbath day's journey, and they had entered the upper room. But look, the first thing it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem. Then, when, right after the ascension, right after Jesus had told them, right after the angel said, why are you staring up in heaven? They sat around, looked at each other for about 10 seconds and said, we got a job to do and that job is to get back. Folks, until the Lord shows you what the next thing is, be caught being obedient in the things that you know you need to do. The disciples may have believed that they were above waiting. They really had, might have. They, they knew that there was work to be done. But even knowing all of that, they waited. Why? Because Jesus had said, wait. Folks, are you anxious for the big thing God has in store for your future? And what do you need to do right now? Obey Him in the small things. Now, 
don't, don't split hairs on my theology, okay? There are no small things. I get it. But obey Him in the things that you know you need to do, that you know you can do. Little things turn into big things. Small acts of obedience translate eventually into larger acts of obedience. And so when Jesus said, go and wait, they said, okay, we're going to go wait. Folks, when's the last time that you were willing to obey God in the small things? Especially when you were living in a place of disappointment or discouragement. Or anticipation. Perhaps the Lord had revealed something to you. Perhaps the Lord had sent you in a different direction. And you knew there was something else out there. And all you could think about was that thing out there. And yet Jesus has called us to obey Him right now. Not later. Not when we feel like it. Right now. For what is God preparing our church? I don't know. What is God preparing you? I don't know. But I know this. Whatever it is that He's preparing us for, He is going to use our obedience in the present moment to shape us into the people that He desires us to be to accomplish the tasks that He has laid out for us in the future. Obey Him in the small things and the large things, but more than anything, obey Him right now. Right now. Don't put off those things that you know you need to be doing. What is God preparing you? I'm not sure, but I know this. You need to obey Him right now. The second thing is to pray and study God's Word. The Bible says that all these with one accord... One accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now, why in the world would I say that we are to pray and study God's word second instead of first? Because, y'all, there are just some things you don't have to pray about. If you've been in the church more than 10 minutes, there are some things that you know according to God's word that you're supposed to be doing. Okay? You just know that. Matter of fact, even if you didn't grow up in the church, you probably heard somebody quote some verses of Scripture that are pretty direct. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's one of those. I don't need to pray. Now, Lord, tell me whether or not I love my neighbor. No, he already told you. That, that's not an area of prayer. It's not an area of study. That's, again, that's back to this area of obedience. This is why obedience comes first, because once we're aware of it, we don't need to sit around and parse it all out. Go and make disciples of all nations. Now, Lord, do you think I need to go and share my faith? Uh, yes, he already told us. We have that one figured out. So this is why we're going to talk about prayer and studying God's Word coming second because there are just some things that you are supposed to already be doing. You know what it is. You don't need to pray about it. You don't need to study. You just need to get busy. The only thing you may need to be praying in these areas is what? Lord, I'm going to obey you in this area. Father, will you help me to be faithful that's where, I, that's where my prayers are a lot of times. It's not, Lord, should I? Lord, help me to be obedient. God, give me that happy heart in the things that you've called me to do. When Jesus said, go to Jerusalem, they don't appear to have sat around and thought, hmm, what's the next step? They knew what the next step was. There was no need to pray and study the very incarnate word of God. It said, go to Jerusalem. What's the next step? Go to Jerusalem. But once we have begun to obey in all the areas where we know that we can and we need to, the next thing we've got to make sure that we're doing is we've got to be praying. When Moses encountered a burning bush, God said, take your shoes off. 
Moses didn't interrupt God in that moment and say, Now, Lord, what do you mean by shoes? He took his shoes off. As the Lord continued to reveal himself to Moses, there were things that Moses didn't always fully understand. And he had to get some help. He had to pray and seek the Lord for clarity. Folks, there are going to be things in our lives that we're going to have to pray and we're going to have to seek the Lord for clarity about. There are aspects of God's Word that require us to understand, to interpret, to wrestle with, and to apply I wrote about this uh, a few weeks ago. Studying God's words, hard work, and that's okay. It's okay for it to be challenging. You know, for the disciples, they had this one aspect down pat, right? Go to Jerusalem, boom, got it. But there was this other area that they didn't have a direct word from the Lord about. They had to go to the word and go to the Lord in prayer and try to understand what it was. For them, that was going to be related to Judas. What are they going to do? There's not a passage of Scripture where we got eight verses laid out and it says, look, at some point Judas is going to betray me. And when he does, these are the next six steps you should take to accomplish the task that I have laid out for you. Instead, they're living in obedience. And then in this place of obedience together, it, it, do, can we notice that they came together? Folks, they prayed together. They prayed as a body, unified They came together and they prayed for the Lord to give clarity. They studied the scripture. And then Peter stood up in the midst of that effort. And Peter said, in prayer and in study of God's word, I believe this is the direction that we should be going. God is moving us to do this. Peter discovered that in God's word. Y'all, we don't need to pray and study God's word when we have a direct command. So when the Bible says, do not commit adultery, do not lust, do not be drunk, do not covet your neighbor's possessions, we don't have to go, well, I wonder what that means. He's told us what that means. We just have to obey. In Proverbs 23, 20, we read, do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat, for drunkards and gluttons become poor, drowsiness clothes them in rags. How do we interpret this passage? Pretty easily. Don't be a drunkard and don't be a glutton. That's exactly what the Word says. Period. But not everything's spelled out so clearly. We should be the kind of people who pray regularly and are constantly in the Word of God. But we also do that with the understanding that there are some areas and aspects of our life that we're going to have to sort of understand differently. And when I say differently, they they require a different kind of application because it's not direct. we got to go to the Word and pray for clarity and understanding. The Bible speaks into every aspect of our life, but it doesn't speak into every aspect of our life specifically. So let me give you an explanation. For instance, the Bible doesn't tell you where you should shop or what kind of clothes you should buy. Okay? But... If you become aware that a business is exploiting slave labor or that a particular store abuses its employees, you may decide then that the Bible's commandments about justice towards the poor dictate that you should change your shopping habits, okay? If you discover that that a place that you you do business with uh, donates half of their proceeds to to some organization that you deem to be sinful, you, you may decide that it's best to not... Frequent that place, okay? But again, the Bible doesn't say don't shop at such and so store because of what they do. It gives us uh, an understanding about how it is that we should care for the poor around us, what justice looks like, and how we should participate, okay? And then we, we wrestle through those things. The Bible addresses all sorts of things about marriage, for instance. Marriage is between one man and one woman. 
A Christian shouldn't marry an unbeliever, and so on and so forth. But the Bible doesn't tell me who I should marry. Right? I need to obey the black and white parts of Scripture first and then pray and study God's Word to help me to understand the other decisions. But y'all, sometimes we want to jump to the complex before we've done the easy stuff. And watch, when I say it's easy, I don't necessarily mean that the obedience aspect is easy. I mean the understanding of it is easy. Right? There's a lot of things that we understand very clearly. When you drive down the road, there's not really a question mark as to whether or not the speed limit is 55. There are those big white signs that say 55 in black letters. Understanding the speed limit has even gotten easier in the smartphone era. Because if I'm driving somewhere and I put that, Angel's, Angel's car's got this display that looks like it's like 14 inches wide. I don't know how big it is. It's massive. I have to be careful to not stare at the road. I mean to stare at the road and not stare at the screen. It's been a long day. Um, but look, it, it shows me on the little screen. My phone tells me what the speed If there's not a sign, I just look over there and it says 55 or 60 or 65. I, it never says 80. I've looked. Understanding the speed limit, that's easy. Obeying the speed limit, now that's a whole other thing, isn't it? I was cruising along yesterday. Wasn't paying a mind to anything happening on my dash. Didn't have a care in the world, just enjoying the day. It's a beautiful, sunshiny day, and I'm driving along in my truck. You want to know when I noticed how fast I was driving? Some of you officers need to quit staring at me like this, all right? <laughs> when I passed that black Kershaw County deputy just sitting there, and I was like, ah! He was full of grace and mercy, I believe. Because I kept checking my rear view and no lights came on. And I just slowed on down and went on to where I was going. Understanding the speed limit isn't hard. Obeying it's a challenge. So when I say that we need to deal with the easy parts, I don't necessarily mean that it's always easy to obey. I mean we need to address the parts that are easy to understand. And some of it's just too easy for us to make complicated. If you've had a young child, they know how to complicate everything. A simple task like go put your clothes up can somehow be interpreted as everything except put your clothes up. Why didn't you put your clothes up? Well, I got up here and I decided that there was a basketball and then, you know, my sister was in the way, or my brother was in the way, or the dog needed to be fed. Or I looked outside, and, you know, there was a ball in the yard, and I decided, Daddy, I knew you'd want me to get that, so I better go get that first. No, 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 I said put up your clothes. There's not a difficulty in understanding, it's a difficulty in the application, in the obedience aspect. So there are a lot of things that we just know. But for the other things, we got to pray and we got to dig in. One of those things, how about this one? When COVID hit, the Bible didn't tell us how to handle it as a church. We have all sorts of imperatives, right? That we are to not forsake the gathering together of ourselves or group of believers. That, that's one of those things that drives us as a body. The Bible says that the church is the gathered community of believers, and the church doesn't exist unless the church is regularly gathering for worship, for discipleship, for evangelism, for missions, unless the church is doing that. And so when we have that, that come about, we have to go, okay, how do... But the Bible also says things like, and, and we didn't have to deal with this much in South Carolina. A lot of others did. 
where the Bible says that we are to honor the government around us, that God has put them in position of authority. And so churches had to sit around and go, okay, how is it that we can honor our government and honor our Lord? Do you understand? There are aspects of God's Word. That's not quite as easy to understand as, you know, don't break the speed limit. That's not quite as easy to understand. Uh, we, had, we had Christians during the Holocaust that had to wrestle with this. The Bible says, do not lie. You're hiding Jews in the attic. Secret police come and knock on your door and say, do you have any Jewish people living in your attic? The Bible says, do not lie. What do you do? How do you honor the Lord in these places? Y'all, listen to me. We are really not equipped or prepared or ready to deal with some of those hard questions until we first handled the stuff right in front of us. But also recognize this. In those aspects, those difficult things, we've got to pray and study God's Word. For what is God preparing me? I don't always know, but I know that I've got to be doing these two things. I've got to obey the Word that I know that I can obey. And then I've got to regularly be praying and seeking the Lord. In the situation of the disciples, it wasn't these complicated decisions, really. They had to replace Judas. And then they're waiting anxiously for what exactly it is the Lord has as the next step. And so what are they doing as they wait? They're obeying and they're praying and they're studying God's Word. Y'all, God may have you in a holding pattern today. And if he does, I can assure you there are two things that you can do that will keep you faithful to the Lord and keep you in close fellowship with him. Those two things are to obey him and to pray to him and read his word. I know I said two. I consider prayer and reading the word as one. But if y'all want to say three, that's fine. I don't like y'all smirks. What else? The third thing this morning when God's got you in that holding pattern Bloom where God has planted you. I know that sounds like something awful like one of those cheesy Hallmark cards, but work with me, okay? Work with me. I've got some acreage that was clear-cut about 10 months ago, and I was out on that property uh, about, I, I don't know, maybe I guess in November, so maybe three months ago, and I was, I was sitting and I was looking across the property, and, and on the hillside I, I noticed something that I hadn't seen um, as the the frost had finally began to kill out some of the, the undergrowth. And I looked across the hill, and, and there were balls laying on the hillside. I couldn't figure out what it was. It was dark. So I walked over to investigate, and what I discovered wasn't any balls laying on the hillside. I had a watermelon vine on the hillside right there. Um, what happened is that at some point when they were clear-cutting the property, somebody had had a watermelon and threw the watermelon out, that watermelon had sprouted right there. It, it was late in the season, so it never actually ripened. But right there, in the middle of nothing, there's no cultivation, nothing but dead sticks, literally. It's all brown and thorny and spiky. And right there, there's just this watermelon vine with about 15 watermelons growing on it. Right in the middle of nowhere. You know what that watermelon vine, who that watermelon vine benefited? Absolutely nobody. Until I discovered it, and then it became great target practice. Sloan got to discover what happens when you shoot a watermelon. All kind of fun stuff. 
Folks, the apostles obeyed and they studied and they prayed. But when they found themselves in this holding pattern, they did what they could do. And what they could do was what? Was they could replace Judas and be prepared for when the Lord gave them their next directive. I often get analysis paralysis. You know what that is? I find myself surrounded by lots of choices and I can't make a decision about what it is that I want. I, I, I really don't like to go to restaurants with big menus because um, I, I look at all the options. And so uh, this is no lie. If you've ever been with me, if I go to a restaurant that, that I regularly frequent, I almost always eat the same thing. And if I go to a restaurant that I don't normally eat at, I usually ask the server what, what she or he would recommend. And unless it has mushrooms, I eat whatever they tell me. I don't like mushrooms. But, um, and so, because honest and truly, I'll look at a menu and it just, it, I know that sounds ridiculous, but sometimes it just, it just overwhelms me. I, I also can find myself paralyzed by too many options or too many responsibilities. Rather than just doing the next thing, I sit around thinking about the big win or the big thing down the road. Jesus had said to the disciples, you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem? And in all Judea? And in Samaria? And to the ends of the earth? I don't know if you put this together, but Jesus looked at this group of fishermen and his mom and his brothers and about 120 people, which is about like this many folks, and he said, hey, I'm going to give you a worldwide ministry. Now, remember, these are the same disciples who just a couple years before were arguing with each other about who was going to get to sit at Jesus' right hand and left hand, okay? These are the disciples that when the children were coming, no, 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 he's important and busy, and we have real grown-up work to do. So could you take these children somewhere? See, we, we miss this. Everybody goes, well, they were just concerned about how, how busy and important Jesus was. Ah, maybe. A whole lot of it is also this, right? They knew that if Jesus was super important and busy, they were attached to him, and by extension, they too were super important and busy. Well, we, can, we don't have time for these little children. Let's move them along. These are the same apostles, the same men. Just a group of tax collectors and fishermen and ordinary, regular old folks. And Jesus said, I'm fixing to make you worldwide. And rather than sit around and go, all right, here's, here's where we're headed. Big time. We got the big time. and We finally got Judas out of the way. There's just 11 of us to share all this glory. Instead of sitting around and worrying about what was over the hill or what was coming around the corner, Jesus had told them to go and wait. Do you understand? They didn't know how long they were going to wait. Jesus didn't say go wait 10 days. He didn't say go wait 3 days. For all they knew, they were going to wait 40 days or 50 days. And guess what? They probably assumed that it was going to be short. Jesus died and he was back in three days. Three days after he had ascended, if nothing else has happened, they're beginning to get antsy at this point. What in the world is going on, Lord? We've been waiting and waiting and waiting. But instead, what they do? They did what they could right where they were. How many of you found yourself waiting for the next thing and missing the opportunities God's put right in front of you? Watch this. This one's going to hurt. Sorry, you might not want to look at your neighbor. 
You might want to look straight ahead and not make eye contact with anybody. How many of you have been super excited to serve Jesus as long as you're on a mission trip, but you've not found a way to honor the Lord, evangelize, and serve others right here in your hometown? How many of you can't wait for the next time you can get out of town and go serve Jesus, but somehow or other, you're handcuffed and you can't seem to serve him right here? Where does God have you? Some of you, listen to me. Some of you get up and you look in the mirror on your way out to your job in the morning. You go, why am I in this place? Listen to me. God has you right where you are to reach the people right around you and to make an impact in the place where he has put you. Some of you need to understand that there are people in your life who desperately need a gospel witness and are not experiencing one because you're sitting around waiting for God to give you the next big thing when He's put the next big thing right in front of you. He's called you to serve right there. Right on that barren hillside. You're the seed that got thrown out among the weeds and somehow you can fight to survive and to bloom if you just will. God put you there. Do you know that it took a while before I saw that watermelon vine? Literally, everything had to get brown and die. Do you know it brought me some kind of weird little joy when I saw it though? In the midst of all this, there's this little plant that survived. It grew there for six months before I ever saw it. Maybe longer. It was there for at least six months. But I couldn't see it until everything else around it had died. The Lord's got you where you are. And it might be six months. Or six years before the Lord reveals to you the exact purpose for why you are there. But folks, until that time, will you serve Him in that place? Will you be that life in in the dead places? That light in the dark places? Why has God put you where you are and around the people that you are around? I think one of the, the, most, the most common misperceptions about vocational ministry is that it's my job to reach everybody. Or that I can reach everybody, that I should reach everybody. There are people in your life who won't listen to me. There are people in your life that I won't get an opportunity to speak to. There are people in your life that will hear the gospel from you and not from anyone else. But Craig, God's got something else for me. He might. But He might not have something else for you today. You know, there's a lot we could get into in the book of Acts chapter 1. We could wrestle with this Matthias and why it was that He was the twelfth apostle. We're going to even see later on down the line that God takes the twelve. And it was necessary that this twelfth one arrive so that Paul could be the thirteenth apostle. So that you could have the one to the Gentiles. 
But watch this. Do you know that we don't fully appreciate the value of Matthias until we make it all the way to Paul's conversion in Acts chapter 9? All the way to Paul's conversion. Why was this all that important? Because God was fulfilling something, but it wasn't really going to reach its complete fulfillment until the conversion of Saul. But we discover God's will as God's people obey and pray and act right in the place where he has put them. For what's God preparing our church? I don't know. I don't. I've got some ideas. We've got some crazy things that are going on. People keep showing up. By the way, I need to tell you, I think, I don't know how many, there were, there were 15 first and second graders last week, or second and third graders. I, I don't know how many there were today. I meant to go count because I said that last week and somebody wrote a huge check to our building fund. So I just want you to know there were tons of second and third graders, right? <laughs> tons. It was a jungle over there. Please write a check. Um, I don't know what exactly the Lord's preparing us. For. I don't. We got all kind of crazy things that are happening. There's houses being built everywhere. People keep coming in by the droves. We finished January ahead of budget. That never happens in a church. Like ever. I've never heard of it. I don't think any church that you do that. The Lord is doing some pretty awesome things. In five years from now, there may be some more awesome things. But what do we do? We sit around and go, well, I wonder what God's going to prepare us for. And we stare up at the sky and say, well, Jesus, are you going to come back? No, we need to be just like the apostles. We obey the things that we know he's called us to do. I don't know what's five years down the road or two years down the road, but I know that my neighbor needs to hear the gospel, and I know that I've got a command to do that. I don't know what's five years down the road or two years down the road, but I know that God has called us as his people to be in the word understanding it, reading it, praying through it, applying it. I don't know what's five years down the road or even two years down the road, but I know this. As this church in this community right now, God's called us to be a lighthouse in this community, proclaiming the gospel, to do all that we can to bloom where God has planted us and to be a light in the darkness. Y'all, we can't put off doing what God's called us to do until he brings us into our kingdom or whatever that would mean. He's called us to do it right now. So what's God preparing our church for? I, I don't know for sure. But I know what we need to be doing while we're waiting. What's God preparing you for individually? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, young person, if he's preparing you right now for the person you're going to marry in just two or three years. I don't know. I, I, I don't know right now if the Lord's preparing you for a different job. I don't, I don't know if God's preparing you for international missions. I don't know if God's preparing you because he's calling you into the ministry. I don't know if God's just preparing you for the hard days that are fixing to come and the way that he's going to use you in difficult days. I don't know. But I know this. I know this, that as you sit around waiting for what's next, your responsibility is to obey Him today in the things that you know. 
Your responsibility is to be in the Word of God, studying, understanding, growing, praying. And Christian, listen to me. Your responsibility is to be a light in the places where God's put you. To bloom where He's planted you. Is it difficult for you to get up and go into work every day? Okay. He might have something else for you in the future, but until He does, you know what He's called you to be? A light at your workplace. Your marriage may be hard today, but do you know what He's called you to do? He's called you to love your spouse. As Christ loves his church. Yes. He's called you to do that today. See, we don't have all the answers. We don't. I had somebody not too long ago said, you know, I'm just, I'm just looking for my burning bush. Aren't we all? Right? What was Moses doing when he found that burning bush? He was just doing whatever it was that the Lord put his hand to do. You're sitting around and you're waiting for what God has next for you. Can we change the, the, the vocabulary and say you're sitting around waiting for what God has as your next job? Whether that be a, a spiritual job, a, 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 a physical job, whatever it might be, you're waiting for it. Do you know the best way to find a job is to have a job? Just have a job. We, we've all seen the old cartoons, right? Guy's sitting around and somebody comes up and speaks to his wife. You know, how long has Johnny been unemployed? You know, well, it's been 19 years, but he's holding out for that management position. Yeah, it's probably not going to happen. Some of you are holding out for your managed position in God's kingdom. And when God will give you that management position, you'll finally step up. I've had some folks that come to me, young men, say, I believe God's called me to ministry. So that's great. Tell me about your local church. Well, I'm not all that active. Why? Well, God's called me to preach. Until you've learned to sit under authority of the Word of God. You're not yet qualified to speak that word regularly. Well, I want to sing in church. Well, are you there when the doors are open? Or do you just want to be on a stage, folks, if you're sitting around waiting for your next job in the kingdom? Let me tell you this. You better be busy with the job that God's given you today. Can you be satisfied to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord? Can you? When Jesus met with his disciples just before his death, they gathered in the upper room. And he wrapped a towel around himself. And he taught them a lesson about service. Folks, Jesus had a much larger ministry. But in that particular place, in that particular moment, he had only one ministry. It was to serve his disciples and to teach them what it looks like to serve in God's kingdom. 
I don't know what God has in store for you tomorrow. My question is this. What's keeping you from serving Jesus today? The fields are white unto harvest today. Delayed obedience is disobedience. What keeps you today from serving Jesus? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for loving us. And thank you for the joy we have of serving you. Lord, I, I, I know the feeling of waiting for what's on the other side of the hill. Lord God, I pray that you would forgive us, Lord, when we've delayed our service as we awaited what you had in store. Today, Lord God, as we think about what may be in the future, God, as we wrestle with that for which you may be preparing us, God, would you help us to serve you today? In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here with us today and you just say, you know what? I haven't served the Lord. Perhaps you'd like to come and pray. This altar will be open for you to pray at. And pray that He would give you the courage to obey Him, to follow Him, to trust Him. Maybe you're here today and you say, I don't know the Lord. Today can be the day of your salvation. I'd love to pray with you and explain to you what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus today. Perhaps today... You're interested in joining our church. Whatever it is that the Lord is burdening you with, however I might be able to pray for you or minister to you as we sing this morning, would you respond? Let's sing. Stand with me.